This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Scott Pinyard, the head coach of This Naked Mind, and I am back with another edition of Coaching Questions. This time I'm joined by another incredible coach. It's Cash Fritas. Cash, how's it going? Good. So nice to be here. How are you? I'm great. I'm very good. Uh, so I always ask our coaches to send in a little synopsis of kind of what they do and who they like to work with. And when you answered this question, you said to me, I coach young professionals and working parents, helping them find freedom from alcohol and emotional balance in their busy lives. I value the coaching relationship with a background in therapy. My coaching focuses on cognitive behavioral methods for overcoming unwanted behaviors and getting in touch with one's emotional self. I love this. Um, particularly because of your background in therapy. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like how does, how does coaching with you work and how do you kind of weave the two in together? Yeah, thank you. That's uh, a great question. So as, it, as I said, I do have a background in therapy, mostly with children, but with families. Um, and what I found to be the most par- powerful part of therapy besides the relationship itself is the ability to have a partner in helping yourself look below your daily experience with your emotions and actually get to know what is what are the thoughts in my head that drive my behaviors, which is so similar to this Naked Minds approach to yeah. ending your drinking. And so that's one of the reasons why I was so drawn to this Naked Mind, but also there's just so much um, overlap and interplay between those approaches. Um, and it's very effective. I mean, it worked for me and it works for other people every single day. Um, and the emotional piece, I think, is to balance out that focus on our actions and our behaviors, because so many of us are very, we intellectualize our, our lives so much that we've lost touch with our emotional experience of life, which is also so important. And what we talk a lot about in this naked mind is understanding how those thoughts affect your emotions and how all of those then play into your habits, whether they're wanted or unwanted. I love that. And you know, it's so funny. Uh, I say this all the time in our groups, you know, we spend a lot of time focusing on things like being aware of what you're feeling and then how to, and then what those next steps are to work with it. What's amazing to me, you know, after doing this work um, on myself and also helping people do it and go through this process in, you know, getting coached myself, I, um, I'm always amazed at how disconnected so many people are from their emotions. And so the emotion happens, the reaction happens, and they just go down the rabbit hole, whether it is anger or even some, even positive emotions, you know, like happiness, we still, we lack that level of awareness and that ends up driving our behavior to such a significant extent. Um, And 
it's always a joy for me to, to help people kind of realize that, you know, and then give them tools to kind of work with it. Um, so when you say uh, young professionals and working parents, what's sort of an age range that you work with on, on this stuff? Yeah, so I think like most coaches, I enjoy working with people who I relate to. Um, and it is broad in the sense of, you know, people who are probably working every day, they might have young kids. Um, so I would say maybe in their later 20s, all the way through almost to retirement age. Basically, I like focusing on folks who are really struggling to find balance in all the many demands in their life, which in their mind means they don't have time to work on themselves and mm -hmm. improve their life, which I really want people to see that there's always time, there's always room if you have the tools and the willingness to work on it. So yeah, I would say people who are working maybe part-time, full-time, have children in their lives, have a partner, um, and are just working to find balance and find time for themselves. I love it. That's awesome. By the way, what you described is like most people, yeah, <laughs> you true. know? It is true. Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. Let's dive into some questions. I will read the first one. Uh, here it is. I sometimes feel like I am obsessing about not drinking. By that, I mean, I find myself reminding myself about all the negatives about drinking so that I don't drink. I've been doing well, but I wonder about the self-talk. It's like I'm brainwashing myself, although I know it's true. Interesting. Yeah, so my question would be for that person, is this a problem for you about thinking a lot about drinking right now? I would probably assume that before you went, began on this journey, you were thinking a lot about how much you wanted to drink or thinking about having a drink all the time. So yeah. now you've kind of flipped it on its head and now you're finding that your internal dialogue is talking about how bad drinking is. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that what you're doing is you're working a lot on your unconscious beliefs. And part of that will come to the surface and you'll be conscious of it during the day. Um, but I think also through time, it will become more balanced as it becomes part of your just daily routine and not drinking becomes your, your kind of autopilot. Um, but I think this is part of the process of your brain changing and your brain focusing on, here's what I need to tell myself right now in order to stay, stay on the path of not drinking. I need to remind myself of all the reasons I'm not drinking. And eventually it's gonna become habit that you don't drink. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything there. Scott. Absolutely. No, I, it's so funny. So when we, this person actually is in our path program that you and I coach together on and um, she, this happens. So every time people go through our, uh, our program called the intensive, right. And I know you've coached in there too. And we see it every time people join, they get all excited. And we talk about how, you know, we're going to work on your thinking about drinking first. Um, so there's a period of time when you're in the program and you're not drinking Every single time we have this conversation, people, I will, there will inevitably be someone who posts in the group and says, is anyone else like obsessed with drinking right now? Like drinking way more than usual. And it's always the case um, that what we focus on is what gets our energy and what gets our thoughts going. And in, in the case of this person, you know, the idea of, you know what, you've made a huge, massive shift, but 
during that time that you've made that shift, you've been thinking about alcohol in all different forms, right? You've been thinking about how you want to quit. You've been thinking about how great it's going to be when you do quit. You've been thinking about how it feels when you drink and how it's going to feel when you not drink. And so we spend so much time focusing on this stuff um, that it is totally, totally normal to feel like, you know, these thoughts are just running through your head. Yeah. Um, and to your point, Cash, I think that's a really, really good sign. Mm -hmm. um, because if that's happening, and I don't like the, the word obsessing, so I hope it's not too bad, but if you're starting to think these things, like if you, I remember the first time I drove by an alcohol, uh, an alcohol store, no, a liquor store. <laughs> um, and I remember it was one that I used to stop at all the time and I drove by it and the thought that came in my head is hell no. And I just kept driving and it was automatic and it took no effort. Yep. That was amazing. Right now yeah. I drive by them all the time. I don't even think of them, but during that time frame, like that was, that was where my head was at. Um, and I just think it's like so normal that you're feeling this way. And to your point of like how that feels, you know, um, there comes a point on this journey where you get to a place where you're comfortably alcohol free, but sometimes we have this idea that we have to cling on to those things that made us quit in the first place. Like we need to constantly remind ourselves. Mm -hmm. The reality is when you start to feel like you're on your, you know, you're, you're steady on your legs, um, you don't have to constantly remind yourself. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if you're doing this purposefully, if you're like, I'm going to wake up every morning and do my what is it from Brave New World? My 15 minutes hate about the about <laughs> alcohol. Like you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and over time, it will end up change uh, changing. And so one way that this can be really helpful is to start focusing on that next step, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're at a place where you're comfortably alcohol free, start thinking about what you want to do next. And you'll notice that as you move your thoughts toward that, that's going to start filling your thinking much more. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's really helpful. And yeah, it's a testament to how plastic and changeable our brains are. And so like you said, I think it's a good thing. It's a good sign because it means that you're focusing on the right thing. And through time, you'll notice that it you, you aren't thinking about it as much because like Scott said, you're going to start looking at what's the next thing that's important to me. And, you know, you focus on what you put your mind on during the day and that becomes your reality. So if you're finding that you're kind of, I remember when I was in the early stages around three or four months, I realized I'm not really thinking about alcohol every day. And it was yeah. such a wonderful relief because I had started focusing on other things. And so there really is a natural progression to this. Um, but if you're finding that I, if it's becoming a negative presence in your life or it's you know, upsetting you, I think it's important to look at, well, what are the messages I'm giving myself about this? that's making it a negative thing. Yes. Because you don't wanna walk through your day saying no to this and no to that. You want it to be positive. So I would say just look at the thoughts that you're actually having about alcohol and always try to come back to, why is this helping me? What feels great about this? And what is this moving me toward? I like that a lot. Um, all right, let's go to question number two. Uh, question number two is, I stopped drinking for a month and I was feeling great. I had some very stressful events happen, a huge trigger for me, and I started drinking again, thinking it would be short-lived. Now, four weeks later, I am frustrated that I am struggling to stop again. Do you, did you have any struggles like this? And is this, quotation marks, normal? 
That's my favorite question ever. Any question that ends with, is this normal? I love yeah. it. Because <laughs> the answer is always yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so much more that we share as humans and that divides us. And one of those things is the way our brain reacts to changes. So I find this with clients often that the minute they decide they want to start working with a coach, they start drinking more. And so I think it's similar, even after a month of not drinking, you're your brain has kind of gone through this experience of, wait a second, you've taken away the one tool that I have come to depend upon for maybe decades yeah. to help me, you know, soothe my emotions and numb myself and get through stress. You're taking that one tool away from me. What are you doing? Yeah. I didn't sign up for this. And so your conscious brain and your unconscious brain are kind of battling. And sometimes that part of your brain that still wants to hold on to that tool, as useless as that tool is, is going to win every now and then, especially once you decide maybe subconsciously, well, I only decided to do this for a month, but then what, what was the plan next? So I think it's a natural thing that your brain starts to grapple with, oh, wow, this person's making changes that I didn't sign up for, what's happening? And you kind of have this moment of panic. Um, and it's totally normal and natural and it's absolutely workable. We can work through that in coaching. Yeah. I mean, we say all the time that this journey is not a straight line, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first of all, I hope you're giving yourself a lot of credit for an entire month. That's huge. Yeah. Um, but these, and that's funny, like you, I even hesitate to call them setbacks. Uh, what, how, how do we, oh, detours. These detours are often necessary. You know, there is something to learn from what happened here. Um, and so that's why we, we talk about these things a lot of times as data points. Um, it's not a relapse, you know, you're not, it's, it's not something where you're stuck with it forever and you constantly need to be vigilant. What it really is, is an indication that there's still some part of you that sees some value in this, right? Um, in this case, it was a trigger it, she didn't say what the trigger was, um, Chances are by using the word trigger, you mean something that makes you either stressed, angry, or sad. Um, and so being able to dig into that is a massive gift. I've actually been thinking about not calling these things data points and calling them gifts now. Mm -hmm. um, that might be a little bit too optimistic for some people, but the reality is it's huge because what this is doing is it's showing you, it's pointing at a place that maybe you could work on some more right? A place that you're thinking or that you might have beliefs about yourself or the world or your place in it um, that got uh, triggered by this. Mm -hmm. um, and very often, you know, these problems happen when our thoughts about the way things should be or our beliefs about how things are, are different than reality, mm -hmm. right? And that's where this, that's where this trigger happens. That's where we feel these emotions. So one of the best things you can do to the extent that you can is really unpack what happened, not from a blame sort of way, not from a place of like, what the hell is wrong with me? Um, but instead from the position of how did this go, right? How did this unfold? Where might I, where might I trip, run into a belief or, or run into an old habit pattern or whatever it might be? Um, because it's through that, that you get a ton of information, a ton of data, which is why we call them data points that you can then apply going forward. Um, I want to comment too. It's not uncommon at all for someone to have a data point and feel like a month goes by and they're still drinking. Did that ever happen to you, Cash? 
Um, I would say, yeah, it definitely wasn't a straight line for me. I, you know, before I found this naked mind, I was trying to find all these different ways to moderate my drinking and to try to control it. Um, and so I would say that was where it got the most frustrating because I never really had a good tool. Yeah. And so when I would like wait a few days, that's what I was doing was waiting a few days to drink. I wasn't actually making any changes. And so it always felt like a frustrating setback because I wasn't learning anything about myself in the process. I was simply white knuckling it. And that's the beauty of this approach and why it works so well. Like you said, it is a gift. If you've taken any time away from drinking, even a day, and then you go back to drinking, you've learned something about yourself. If you're using these tools of awareness and clarity and beliefs, you've learned something that you never would have learned if you had just white knuckled through it and told yourself how miserable you were the whole time. So there is beauty in the experience of it not being linear. And that's how we yeah. as humans learn. Yeah. And I mean, you know, so many of us go through I mean, you can point to any point on most people's alcohol journey uh, before they before they quit for whatever their predetermined time frame is, um, and th it's going to be filled with this. It's going to be filled with, um, you know, an attempt. And I made it ten days. I made it three days. I made it two hours. I made it five weeks. Whatever it is. Um, every single one of those um, is valuable and is progress. And, you know, part of this also reminds me of, this is one of the reasons that is different for everybody. Um, but we don't really advocate counting days as a, as a, as a good uh, measure. Now for some people, they really like that. Some people find that really empowering and they love being able to get up and cross that day off the calendar. And that's helpful. Um, however, I can say for me personally, that was not helpful. Like I did not really like that. Um, and you know, a lot of people will tell me it feels like I'm counting the days since I've been happy or of counting the days of suffering or there's all these different terms for it. Um, and that is directly the opposite of the sort of emotion that we want to cultivate to help you move through this process. Um, and so one of the things that we like to do is go back and look at say the last six months, right? Over the last six months, how many days were you alcohol free? Um, and then compare that to the previous six months. Um, when you look at it that way, when you look at it sort of in the aggregate over a longer period of time, you're gonna be able to see progress. Cause right now what I'm kind of hearing in this, in this question is like, oh, I did a month, but like, whatever, I'm back at square one. No, you're not, you did an entire month. Yeah. Um, and I know like it feel, it may feel like when you're in the moment, it may feel like, okay, I'm back in this pattern now, like I can't quit again. But the fact of the matter is you wrote this question in, right? You're working on it. Um, and so how do you sort of reframe that month that you had? Not as lost time, not as a, I used to call them false starts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not as that, but instead as, okay, you know what? I, I did get 30 days alcohol free. How can I, how can I push for that again? If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And you're, and you know, now you can do it. Your brain knows that yes. you can survive and even thrive for 30 days, regardless of what happened the next 30 days. So going back to those 30 days and looking at what did I learn? What did I gain? What were some of the best things that happened during this month? And, and focusing on how great that felt is going to do so much more for you than thinking about how discouraged you are about the month after, because 
like Scott said with the aggregate, it's so encouraging to see when you make even small gains over a long period of time, that's that is sustained change. That's not like overnight change because that's not sustainable anyway. You want long-term slow change ultimately because that's gonna be the most sustainable and long-lasting. That's awesome, I love it. Um, all right, let's go on to the next question. Okay. Question number three. How do I get unstuck from the belief I'm not worth, and then she gives multiple things, I'm not worth a good and healthy life. I'm not worth a good career. I'm not worth having a partner. This belief makes me make uh, keeps me making wrong decisions, typically around drinking. Or could it be an excuse not to make firm and consistent action? Thanks for helping out. This is a big one. <laughs> that is a big one. And those are the kind of questions I love in uh, coaching and therapy, because that's a really good example of how therapy and coaching is very similar in that you want to look at um, where in your life you got those messages. Are they messages that you came to believe for a certain reason, or maybe messages that were given to you that aren't even yours to begin with? And so there is value in looking back at your life. I wouldn't say staying in that mindset and looking too far back for too long, but there is value in looking at, okay, where did I get these messages? How old was I? Where was I in life when I was told that I wasn't worthy of love, or I got the message that I wasn't worthy of great things? That can, that holds a lot of knowledge and a lot of information. And if you can look back at that, you can start to dissect how true was that and how true is that? And does that serve who I am today in moving forward with what my goals are? Another part of that is looking at how can I look at the truth of it today versus um, moments when that wasn't true. So whatever that thing you might not be worthy of is in your mind, say you're telling yourself you're not worthy of feeling great every day. So give me some examples of when that wasn't true. Can you explain to me what worthiness means and how you define worth? Would you say that to somebody else that you love in your life? So looking at it from different angles, I think can really help you dissect that belief, see how it's not true and see how it doesn't serve you. Um, so that's one place I would start. It is a big question though. So I think that can take time to go through. It can be really emotional and it can be really painful, but like most things, if you don't look at them square in the face, they are just going to sit there and fester. And it's important to look at them when you, when you feel ready. Yeah, I the worthiness question, no matter what the second half of the of the sentence is, um, is always a really interesting one to me. Um, because, well, first of all, it's something that everybody struggles with. You know, there are constant messages in our culture that we are not enough unless you buy this outfit. You're not enough unless you have this car. You're not enough unless you have this drink. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, you know, this message is coming at us all the time, all the time. Um, and we really, really do take it on board. Um, I have a lot of exercises that I like to work through uh, with people on this, but I think one of the most powerful ones, I remember coaching someone one time um, and what he was saying to me was essentially, I'm really not worthy of anything I have in my life. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. And he happened to have, I think it was like an eight-year-old daughter. Um, and so uh, let's talk about your daughter. Um, do you love your daughter? Well, yeah, of course I do. You know, like she's the center of my universe. These things that people say about their kids. I'm like, okay, why? 
And um, he goes, well, you know, and he starts, he starts struggling with explaining why. And I said, do you think your daughter is worthy of a good life? And he said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's amazing. And I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> and what starts to happen when you start to dig into this, and it's very helpful to do it about another person, because again, all of those messages about us not being enough and not being worthy of things and not like all of those messages are, we, it's hard for us to see through them, but it's super easy for us to see through it around someone else and thinking about our emotions around someone else. And if you can understand that question of worthiness in terms of a different person, you can take some of those conclusions that you've made and then apply them to yourself. As a matter of fact, you don't really have a choice because when you begin to say, wait a minute, no, my daughter is worthy of an amazing life and she's worthy of love mm -hmm. because she's human, Mm -hmm. Right, whatever that whatever that ends up be, that answer ends up being, uh, you almost inevitably get to just uh, uh, universal thing that like by definition, if it's true for her, it's true for me. So being able to ask ourselves those questions, and I think you're 100 right, Cash. This is a really painful question um, because we have to kind of fight through those messages that we've been that we've taken on board about worthiness. Right, we have to really kind of fight through maybe you know, maybe it's worthiness to be in a relationship or worthiness to have a promotion or any of those things, right? We've made stories about those our whole life. And very often those stories are made around a painful event, right? So like the promotion idea, I remember working with someone once and she was one of four people up for one job, right? So there were four of them at her level and like their manager retired and she did not get the job. And the whole thing to her was worthiness and it was politics and it was just really like super negative emotions. Okay. Um, so part of what we had to do is we had to go back to that because that's what she was pointing at to define her worth. We had to go back to that and kind of talk through it and say like, is there another explanation here? Mm -hmm. um, so it can be a, it can be a thing that kind of might feel like it's dragging you down a little bit and dragging you to some dark places. But um, you know, like we like to say the way out is, through, right? The obstacle is the way. So being able to being able to go there and actually question your worth from that level um, is huge. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we shy away from difficult feelings by nature, but this is a really great opportunity to start seeing the connections between your belief that you aren't worthy and not just the belief, but the feelings, the emotions, the physical sensations of when you are triggered into believing that you aren't worthy, what does that lead you to do? And yes. oftentimes it's connected to an unhelpful habit like drinking. And so even if you aren't able to convince yourself that you are worthy, there's still a lot of value in seeing how that belief is not serving you today. And so it can, it can kind of drive that inquiry a little bit when you start seeing, wow, this belief actually has connections to all the things that I do in my life or the things I don't do. So maybe there's value in kind of tiptoeing into this emotional inquiry in a safe way. And that's the beauty of doing this with somebody you trust so that you don't feel like you're alone in this. Because as you said, Scott, we all have these deeply seated beliefs um, that often don't serve us, but that create the life that we're living this day. So it's a great question. And I don't think that it's an excuse I mean, I think that we like to tell ourselves sometimes that we're making an excuse out of our behavior, but truly when it comes down to it, we're just having a human experience. And 
it's important for us to have self-compassion um, and see ourselves as imperfect, but still lovable, worthy beings. And it's not an excuse. It's just what we do as humans. We don't always see why we're doing the things we're doing. We don't understand them. So it's a great question and it's a great place to start in your journey. Yeah. And one thing I might add to that, I forgot about the second half of the question, <laughs> but the one thing I might add to that around the excuse um, is that this is, this is forever work. Right. Mm -hmm. So the work that we're talking about, about understanding your own worth, um, it's going to unfold for you in stages. Mm -hmm. And so part of what you can do to not let it be uh, an excuse, to not let it be a roadblock. Um, I don't I agree with you, Cash, like if you're feeling it, it's not an excuse. Mm -hmm. um, but part of what you can do to, to not let it stand in your way is to just accept the fact that this is going to unfold over stages over time. Yeah. Right. So whether it is, you know, you might not be able to say yet today, yes, I am worthy of a good and healthy life. You might not be able to say that. That's totally fine. Right. That's where you're at. Mm -hmm. But understanding that there's work to be done and that you can take steps toward that. So maybe you don't go right to I deserve or I'm worth a good and healthy life. Maybe you go, I'm open to the idea that I could be worth it, right? That could be enough to sort of allow you to continue to grow and continue to lean into this because I can say that when I've done this work, I'm sure it's the same for you, Cash. Like it doesn't just open up all of a sudden, right? It's like, it's 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 a journey, right? There's, there's pieces of it. Um, so the only way that it ends up being an excuse is when you don't actually feel it, but you're just kind of clinging to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that doesn't seem to be the case here. And so if you can sort of accept the sort of unfolding nature of the whole thing, that sounded really wooey, but if you can, if you can accept that, then like that might allow you to continue to grow with it. Even when, you know, you don't have everything figured out, uh, right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Those were our questions, except our curveball question. Um, so cash, um, what Disney character are you most like? Oh my goodness, that is a curveball question. Oh, that is a really hard one. I would say Beauty and the Beast, Beauty, because I love reading and I'm perfectly happy alone with my teapots and my books. And I would love to just be in a dark castle of my own to have all the time I want to read and drink tea. Um, minus the beast, maybe. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Time. Thank you for being game for that. I don't tell people this ahead of time. So everyone's like, uh, what do you mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time, Cash. This was really fun. Um, if people want to find out more about you and how they can get in touch with you, what is your website? Yeah. So my website is theclearheartcoach.com. And um, you can just go on there and look at some of my programs for coaching. I have some articles I've written and also just a really easy way to click and book a free consultation with me. So again, it's theclearheartcoach.com. Awesome. And thank you again for your time. Thank you. And thank you to everyone listening. As always, this was a lot of fun. I will be back next uh, time with another edition of Coaching Questions. So until then, take care. Awesome. Bye, everybody. Thank you. 
Have you tried the alcohol experiment? Okay, if not, drop everything and go to alcoholexperiment.com. This is a free 30-day challenge and it's designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with that best version of you. You remember, it was that version of you that's living your most joyful life, that version that didn't need alcohol to relax or have a good time, the one that's able to have more fun than ever. Again, this is a totally free challenge and it can change everything for you. So learn more and join me for a 100% free challenge at alcoholexperiment.com. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps me reach somebody who might need to hear this message today.